You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. Let's open our Bibles together this afternoon to the letter to the Hebrews. And we read from a number of different parts of this letter. First of all, from chapter 1, and then a part of chapter 2, and finally a part of chapter 13. We begin then with Hebrews chapter 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. So he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have become your father. Or again, I will be his father and he will be my son. And again, when God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. In speaking of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. And righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. He also says, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will all wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment they will be changed, but you remain the same, and your years will never end. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet? Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? Then we turn to chapter 2, the verses 14 to 18, or the end of that chapter. Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity so that by his death, He might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. For surely it is not angels he helps, but Abraham's descendants. For this reason he had to be made like his brothers in every way, that he, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service to God, and that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. And finally, we turn to Hebrews chapter 13. Keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners. And those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed kept pure. 
For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be carried away by all kinds of strange teaching. It is good for our hearts to be strengthened by grace, not by ceremonial foods, which are of no value to those who eat them. We have an altar from which those who minister at the tabernacle have no right to eat. The high priest carries the blood of animals into the most holy place as a sin offering, but the bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy through his own blood. Let us then go to him outside the camp, bearing the disgrace he bore. For here we do not have an enduring city, but we are looking for the city that is to come. Through Christ Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God the sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that confess his name. I preach to you this afternoon from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 8. We've read it together, but it's very short. We can read it again. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Beloved congregation of our Lord and our Savior, Jesus Christ, well, this is it. After almost 40 years in the ministry of the gospel in the Canadian Reformed Churches, and after 25 years as your pastor here in Langley, the time has come for me to say farewell. Now, I realize that the decision is softened somewhat by the fact that my wife and I will remain members in your midst, but still I will no longer be involved in the regular ministry among you. It's time for us as a congregation and pastor to part and in some sense to move on. And that's not an easy thing. Over these last weeks, many of you have been reminding me of the fact that this is the last, the last visit, the last sermon, the last meeting, a little while ago, the last handshake. In some ways, it comes across as the last meal before the execution. Of course, it's not that, but still, there is kind of an odd feeling in the air, isn't there? At the same time, many of you have been asking me whether I have been looking forward to the next step or stage in my life, and my answer has been and still is, I really don't know. It's also strange. Ask me later or ask my wife. And perhaps it's strange for you too. I pastored some of you for all of 25 years. Some of you have been here shorter time. There's even a few of you here whom I've pastored for 35 years, believe it or not, first in Cloverdale and then here in Langley. And all in all, it's been a long time, a long time to grow together, a long time filled with all kinds of different things, births and baptisms, weddings, funerals, sicknesses, ups and downs, joys and griefs and ups and disappointments. And I suspect that in some ways, in that long journey together, I've become, to some of you, like an old piece of furniture. I've always been there. 
But now I won't be, at least not in the same way. And taken together, what all of this underlines is the fact of the ever-changing character of our lives. Nothing ever stays the same, it seems, for long, and that includes pastors. But is that true? Is that accurate? I would say to you this afternoon that while it may be true of much of life, it is not true of everything. And it's also not completely true of pastors. For there is one pastor who never changes, never leaves, never retires. And we need to spend some time considering him together this afternoon. So I preached to you on the theme, meet the pastor who never retires. And we're going to first of all look at the glory of his person, secondly at the wonder of his work, and finally at the splendor of his care. Well, beloved, in some ways our text this afternoon is short, but it's also a bit strange. And why is it strange? Well, because it pops up here so suddenly. You know, here the writer of the letter to the Hebrews, whoever he may be, is writing his final chapter, and it's filled with concluding exhortations. And he exhorts his readers, and you can notice that, to love one another, to welcome strangers, to remember those in prison. And he goes on to speak about marriage and money. And he then urges the readers to remember their leaders and not to succumb to false teaching. And from there, it's on to ceremonial foods, to tabernacles, high priests, bodies, sufferings, a city, and many other things. There's so much here, so much variety, so many, many different topics. But then in the midst of all of this smorgasbord of topics, you might say, we we have our text. As if out of nowhere, the writer states, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. You see, sandwiched between words on leadership and strange teaching is this verse. And so we might ask ourselves, what is it doing there? And why was the writer led by the Holy Spirit prompted to put it there? Well, we might say it probably has something to do with leadership in the church, After all, if you look in verse 7, he says, remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. And, And later on in verse 17, he takes up the thread again and writes, obey your leaders and submit to their authority. So most likely these words of verse 8 are uttered in connection with church leadership. And indeed, I would go so far as to say that they are uttered probably as a kind of exclamation about the greatest church leader of all. You know, here the writer is busy writing to his readers, remember your leaders, consider the outcome of their way of life, when all of a sudden his heart and his mind are filled with that really, really special leader. Suddenly, Jesus Christ fills his vision. And he's led to make this glorious confession about Jesus Christ and his unchangeable nature. Now, you might wonder about that. How can that be? How is it that everything in life changes, but he does not change? How is it that pastors like Pastor de Jong and myself come and go, but he remains forever? What makes him so different, so special, so unique? 
But you know, in some ways, the answer is to be found in his first name. The writer of Hebrews calls him Jesus. So who is Jesus? Well, almost all of you know the answer, and I'm sure the children here know the answer. Jesus means Savior. Think of the angel Gabriel coming to Joseph and telling him, you shall call the child Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So Jesus means Savior. Jesus points to his great saving mission and task. But at the same time, And you might say even more so, the name Jesus points to his his person, to who he is, to what kind of a person he is, to his great and glorious person. You need to turn back, beloved, with me to the opening chapter of Hebrews, which we read And and what does the writer in Hebrews 1 say about Jesus? Well, consider only the following about him. Chapter 1, verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his, his son. Here we're being told that God the Father who speaks to us through Jesus, and that this Jesus is nothing less than his son. Now, we are all sons and daughters of God through adoption by faith and grace. But but notice that here the word son is capitalized. And that means this is not just any son. No, this is the one and only son, the begotten son, the eternal son, the everlasting son, the divine son. Jesus is God. Jesus is the great son in the family and household of God. But that's not all. Consider something else in verse 2. Whom he appointed the heir of all things. Jesus is the heir. And if you ask the heir of what? Well, very simply, he's the heir of everything. God the Father gives him the kingdom. God the Father gives him all things, all of creation, all the world, all the universe, all creatures. It all belongs to him. He has it all. And one day every tongue will acknowledge and confess Jesus Christ is Lord. But if Jesus is the divine son and if he's the heir of everything, he's also known as the agent of creation. Hebrews 1, 2. There we read as well, through whom he made the universe. God the Father made the universe, Scripture says, through the Son. John writes, through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. Jesus, our Jesus, is the agent creator. And as well, he is also the reflector of God. Hebrews 1 goes on and states, Jesus, the Son, is the radiance of God's glory. In other words, do you want to see glory, real glory, genuine glory? Then you need to look to Jesus. 
In his days on earth, the disciples once in a while would catch a glimpse of his glory. And we know that in the days to come, we shall see him in the fullness of his glory. We shall see the brightness of his glory, of the Father's glory. Jesus is the Son of righteousness with healing in his wings. In addition, beloved, he's also the representative, Hebrews 1, 3 adds, he's the exact representation of his glory. There are a number of lawyers in our congregation. And I understand it's their task to represent their clients and their interests. But are any of these lawyers able to do that perfectly, completely, and exactly? And I think they would be the first to say no, but we try our best. Jesus, however, does more than try. He really and truly does represent and reflect his Father perfectly and fully. There is no discrepancy whatsoever between them. He's the exact agent. When you hear him, you hear the Father. When you see him at work, you see the Father at work. And now, beloved, many, many more things could be said about Jesus. You'll notice that in Hebrews 1, the chapter goes on and it speaks about Jesus as the sustainer, as the purifier, as the far superior one. Indeed, the list of his glorious qualities goes on and on. He is inexhaustible. He is infinite. He's beyond compare. And indeed, it can be said about him that he is the perfect pastor. And by the way, the word pastor comes from the Latin and simply means shepherd. And I would, beloved, by all means, direct you to him. I've been your pastor these past 25 years. And, but, you know, every day, in one way or another, I have been reminded that I am not your perfect pastor. I always try to be like my great boss. I try to reflect the great shepherd and pastor of the sheep to, to represent him as much as I could, but always I did so with many sins and shortcomings. In other words, my work among you was stained with imperfections. And I don't mind admitting that. So, please forgive my failings. My failings as a pastor, as a person. But you know, at the same time, take comfort in the fact that while I and, and all the pastors below have their faults, there is one pastor. One pastor above. 
who supplies what we all need in complete and perfect fashion and perfect measure. And what a great and glorious Savior He is. What a great and glorious Savior we have. For the glory of His person. But then, beloved, if there is the glory of his person, there is also the wonder of his work. What does, by the way, the perfect pastor do? And what does he do better than any of us here below? Well, for an answer, we need to go back again to the opening chapters of this letter to the Hebrews. For for look, look at chapter 1, verse 1. It says there, in the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many and various times in various ways, but... In these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. So what is Jesus depicted as doing here? He is depicted as the ultimate, the final, or the complete speaker or prophet. The first work of Jesus Christ is prophetic work. He comes to all of us with the very word of God. And in the process, he speaks as, as no one else speaks. He reveals what no one else knows. He tells us the way it really, truly is in life with God about his will, about our needs and our circumstances and our future and our life. No one speaks as he speaks. No one communicates as he communicates. Truly, he's the greatest prophet. And beloved, I've tried. I've tried over the years to bring his words to you. I've tried to understand them, digest them, recycle them, communicate them, explain them, and apply them to your lives. You might say a lesser prophet has done what he could to connect you with the greatest prophet so that you all might become prophets and prophetesses in his service. You know, as I leave, it's important to remember not what I said to you, but rather what he said to you and still says to you. Remember your great prophet. And also do not neglect your prophetic calling in this life. Keep on speaking about him. For him. Like him. To him. With him. Spread abroad his great name. Continue to be walkie-talkies. For Jesus Christ. He, the great prophet, wants to multiply many prophets. But while he's the greatest prophet, he is also the greatest king. In Hebrews 1, we are reminded that the son, who is the final prophet, is also the eternal king. Look at verse 8 
chapter 1 in these words. But about the sun, he says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. And righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. Several weeks ago, I preached to you on Revelation 19. And and who did we meet finally in Revelation 19? We met Jesus, the rider on the white horse, who has a name written on his robe and on his thigh. And what's the name? King of kings and Lord of lords. You know by now the book of Revelation is full of his kingship. But the entire scripture is full of his kingship. And the future is full of his kingship. And what that means for us as a people of God is that we, we need not fear. There is no power greater than his power. There is no might that compares to his might. There is no sovereignty that can put a candle to his sovereignty. And you know, over the years I've tried to stress this as well. I've tried to show you your prophet and your king. I've reminded that you too are royalty. You're not a bunch of orphans. You're not a bunch of rejects. You're not a bunch of nobodies. You've been called to be kings and queens in the service of God. And so I say to you, as you go forward, keep speaking as prophets. And keep marching as kings and queens under the banner of King Jesus. And do evil or do battle against all evil as members of his royal house. Give the devil and his allies no due and no quarter. And get ready. Get ready one day soon to reign eternally. With Jesus Christ, your great King. But then finally, beloved, if Jesus is our greatest prophet and king, he's also, one more thing, he's the greatest priest or high priest. And indeed, you can say that that more than perhaps anything else, it is this particular office and work that that dominates throughout the letter to the Hebrews. In a time and in a situation in which many of his readers were weighing their options and, and, and thinking about going back to their old Jewish ways, their old ceremonial ways, the writer repeatedly shows them a better way, a far superior way, the way of Jesus. He shows how in his prophetic work he is superior to all the prophets of the Old Testament, how in his royal work he is superior to all the kings of the Old Testament, as well as how in his priestly work, 
He is so much more than all the priests and the high priests of the Old Testament. And in light of that, why in the world would you want to go backwards? You see, in this letter, we're reminded. And you can find all those reminders. Jesus Christ is a merciful and faithful high priest, chapter 2. A high priest who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin, chapter 5. A priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. A high priest, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. A high priest who sat down at the right hand of the throne in the majesty of heaven. A priest who has offered for all time one sacrifice for sins. What a high priest we have. He covers all of our sins. He, He pays all of our ransom. He removes our guilt. He cleanses our lives. And he does it all through one offering. The offering of himself. Of his life, of his body, of his honor, of his everything. And why does he do it? So that among other things, you and I might become priests in the service of the great high priest Jesus Christ. A holy God wants a holy people. Isn't that too? Has been a theme of my preaching and teaching among you. At times, some of you may well have thought it's kind of a fixation on his part. Sorry about that. However, You know, the fact still remains, as Scripture says, that without holiness, none of us will see God. And, 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 you know, I I want so, so desperately for all of us to see God, to see Him in His power and glory, to, to see Him and to enjoy Him in His dwelling place. And so I say to all of you, live as priests. Live new, holy, raised, renewed lives. Make that your constant calling and aim. Be distinctive. Be holy. And so, beloved, if the name Jesus points us in the direction of the glorious person of our Savior, the name Christ points us in the direction of his work as prophet, king, and priest. And that leaves one more thing to consider briefly, and that's the splendor of his care. Now, why do I call his care splendid? Well, three reasons come to mind as we examine what comes before, after, and and in our short text. The first reason has to do with the fact that this care, this care of our God, is so very personal. 
Notice in verse 5 that believers are exhorted to keep their lives free from money, the love of money, and to be content with what you have. Now, that's easier said than done. After all, who doesn't worry about their finances from time to time? Who's not concerned about their mortgage or their business or whatever related to financial dealings? So what's to be done about all that worry about financial matters? Well, this. Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And that scripture's way of reminding us that we are never all alone in this world with our worries. Whether they be money worries or other worries. Whether they be burdens or sorrows or griefs. No matter what we have to carry, we never have to carry it alone. He will never leave us or forsake us. He promises us his personal and abiding presence. Lo, I am with you always. The second reason why his care is so great is not just because it's personal, but also because it's so deeply pastoral. Notice, I said to you earlier, this last chapter is a bit of a smorgasbord. It's a bit of a smorgasbord of all kinds of different topics, our relationships, sufferings, marriages, money, sins, future conduct, prayers, you name it. And that's Scripture's way of saying, our God sees it all, knows it all, cares about it all. Nothing surprises him. Nothing catches him off guard. There's no need that he neglects. There's no hurt that he overlooks. There's no pain that he mocks. There is no burden that he cannot relate to. He helps us in everything. His care is so deeply pastoral. And one more thing is care is not just personal and pastoral, but it's also perpetual. It just goes on and on and on. It never stops. And, you know, that's especially what our text wants to stress. You know, it begins with Jesus pointing us to his person. It continues with Christ pointing us to his offices. And then it climaxes with this great message. He is the same yesterday and today and forever. Jesus Christ does not change. Jesus Christ does not forget. Jesus Christ does not die. Oh, unless we forget Jesus Christ does not retire either. That's what we pastors do. We're all imperfect, finite. We get sick, we get tired, we grow old and forgetful and gray, and we pass away. 
But he never, ever does. Jesus Christ is the pastor, the shepherd, the prophet, the king, the priest, who never tires, retires, or expires. He is with you always. And so, congregation, as we go our somewhat separate ways, do not despair. Everything in life may change. But Jesus Christ, the greatest pastor of all, doesn't change. And so be of good courage. Keep concentrating on the glory of his person. Keep rejoicing in the wonder of his work. And keep living out of the splendor and the comfort of his care. He will shepherd you always. And he will do it in a manner beyond compare. Let's pray. Our gracious God and heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for this greatest of all gifts, the gift of your Son, as our Savior, Redeemer, and Lord. And we thank you, Father, for reminding us this afternoon a little about the greatness of his person and as well as about the wonder of his work and the splendor of his care. In light of all of that, O Lord, no matter what we experience in this life, and there are many nasty, difficult, distressing things that we have to go through. But yet, if we continue to hang on to Jesus, through the power of your word and spirit, we will be blessed and we will be strengthened and we will be led, led to life and to glory beyond measure and beyond compare. And so, Father, as we listen to all the earthly pastors, let us above all realize that the benefit they bring is the benefit that they are instruments in the hand of the greatest living eternal pastor of all, Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.